Pardon? Spoon Bear. Spoon Bear. Spoon yeah. Bear. Mm-hmm. So Spoon Bear is actually an egg cup. Yeah. But Spoon Bear is extremely useful. We've 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 sort of we've adapted his usage mm. so that we, he's a he's a tea bag receptacle basically. So I've used him correctly. You have used. That's why I brought him across. Where did you get him from? Uh, just a Spoon Bear shop. Spoon Bear shop. You know, some sort of bear. Spoon Bears are on every high street. It's just you know one of those shops that sells bear stuff. Okay. It's a grizzly, it's a grizzly bear. I believe it's a grizzly bear, yeah. yeah Decapitated, is. obviously. They have big eggs, don't they, around here? It's, it's, but it's really useful. Huge. It's really useful. We've got, loads of, mm-hmm. we've got loads of things like that. We've got loads of like things that Kate uses to put like olives in when we have guests that are actually ashtrays. So they say the high street... <laughs> <laughs> on empty. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have the heart to tell it. They say the high street is dying, but there are, there's actually a spoon bear shop. Well, so just a bear know, shop. That can just survive. The, the bear shop. Flourish this is in Manchester. You get everything in Manchester. I'm assuming there's, what... Uh, knife bears and be a knife fork, bear, fork bear. Fork bear. Yeah, yeah. They're not mm. exactly the same shape, but exactly the same. Ladle bears. Right. Yeah. Isn't it a full bear though? Is it? It's just a bear's head. Just a bear's head. Yeah. But we don't want to. Dis- I mean, that would be grim. Saying it's spoon bear head. That would be spoon bear skull. It would take up an awful lot more space than it needed to if it was the entire bear as well. Not a full size grizzly. Can you that would be. If you had like yeah. a model of an entire bear just to put just to put tea bags in. I mean, that's offensive to bears. It's an idea, though, isn't it? It is an idea. Yeah. Perhaps a business idea. Uh, hello, bear. everyone. Welcome to Set Piece Menu. This is the podcast where four friends talk about football over food. And welcome to Rory and Hector's house. And Kate's. And Kate, she's not here, although she's not here. Yeah. She's been displaced by a small spaniel. She has. Who is well, currently no, sitting that's, that's on both true. Chinch and my feet. Yeah, he, he's, I could you, do, he's in his spot. I could do the dog move. I'm going to get cramp in a minute. I'll have a stretch. You, <laughs> the athlete, getting cramp. Never. He's finely tuned, though, isn't he? We are very grateful to Rory for providing us with chicken cacciatore. That's the one. Um, which was sensational. It was. That was... Um, Quite, and quite the treat. Just want to point out that I, I did make the food last, last week. We had, I'd say, a better meal at Chinch's house. But uh, Mrs. Chinch set a very, very high standard. Yeah, but it's, it's it dishonest. This for episode dishonest. five. But that wasn't that wasn't quite. It's not the what deal. This was supposed it's to be. Yes. Yeah. Dishonest. It's dishonest. It's, it's not. Dishonest. One of us was, was supposed open. to provide I, the food. That is the concept. If I'd gone yes. to Cromer and got a pizza, would that have counted? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Would have been better than we should go to Chroma. I do love Chroma. <laughs> Chroma is next on the list. When it's my turn, I think we should probably go out. I think that would make really more sense. yeah into the public realm. <laughs> into Are we ready? People, to real people. people. Oh, Bit of a shock. Well, listen. Thank you to everybody. Um, we are very grateful for your continuing interest. Interest that seemed to survive despite my obvious vocal deficiencies in the last uh, episode. Thank you to Steve. It is good to have you back, by the for way. For stepping yeah, up, right. your, yeah, vil- your villainous uh, twin brother last week didn't true. really make much of a contribution. Did the interest survive or? Did it increase? That flourished. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was enhanced. Yeah, if anything, yeah. <laughs> or perhaps that leads us on to a formal introduction then of the set-piece menu foursome, as it is now once again a foursome. Andy Hinchcliffe is a seven-cap England superstar, which <laughs> makes the 15-cap Tony Dorigo almost immortal. <laughs> Steve Wyeth is a commentator for BT Sport. Rory Smith writes on soccer for the New York Times. And I'm Baron Greenback from the yes. popular television show for children... Danger Mouse. It's great to have you back, though. It really, really is. It wasn't quite the same, was it? No. I know we, we thought we could survive as a trio, yeah. but it just feels like we all high fived when we realised you were going to be able to speak. He's very today. much the lubricant of this. Kind of <laughs> I thought, I thought mm. the only people who might miss me were my mother and my fiance. Turns out my fiance didn't. You have a fiance. I, I have That's amazing. <laughs> yes, make it sound like an accessory, why don't you? <laughs> How's the wedding planning going? We uh, we are doing very well. You doing well? Uh, we you're that ve- is the royal we. You're very organised. She's doing very no, well. No, I think that's a lie. I think you, so. When we got married, Kate 
basically did You're married. Did That's yeah. amazing. Well done. <laughs> the, um... You've been married twice. So some <laughs> oh, of this, some of this sarcasm is misplaced. You've had, it's okay. He's had one of my marriages. Oh. <laughs> That's nice and also slightly weird. Um, take those keys out of the central pot and put them back in your pocket. Um, we've combined, I think, rather well for a few editions now of Set Piece Menu. Um, if you haven't listened, please do have a listen. Um, uh, we try to make them enduringly relevant, so they will still hopefully be entertaining for you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes or indeed on Stitcher. On Set Piece Menu, we talk about one subject, a subject that we find interesting, but one we have no interest in coming to a conclusion about. And today, post-truth, which what? brings something of a baffled expression for Mr. Hinchcliffe. How society is caught up with what football has been doing for years. I shall start by explaining, then Rory will make it slightly more intelligent. 2016 was the year of post-truth politics. Post-truth, I think, was even the word of the year. Was it the word of the year? It was the Oxford there. Dictionary word of the year, 2016. People are like, frantically googling this now. <laughs> yes, exactly. The best, the best, best word of the year was omni shambles. When that that was like 2011, when they made omni shambles from the thick of it a word. That was omni shambles. Omni shambles. Wasn't yeah. it officially also in the budget? Didn't George Osborne mention it in, oh, possibly, in the budget? Yeah. I think there was a department that was an omni shambles. Do you not Any- keep up to date with the latest word-related news? <laughs> I tend not to. No, no, no. no. Too, Too busy, busy watching Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, you saw it um, for both Brexit and Trump, how politics became fact-proof. We all watched as the debate was framed around emotions rather than policy. Who thought that you'd be getting this on a football podcast? I feel this, therefore it's true. That was the way that everybody was describing their opinions and the reasons for voting for things. And attempts to show that it wasn't true were either dismissed as not important or coming from a biased standpoint and therefore equally as false. With me so far? Yes, look, look, yeah, look yeah, to yeah, 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 just about. For, for yeah. validation there. Mm. Uh, well, you should be, because it's been going on in football for years. And Rory, managers, players, fans, all guilty of it. Or should we say guilty? I don't know. I, that, don't, I don't know if they're guilty. I think portion it's, blame. It's the whole environment of football just lends itself. So what we've seen with, with the post-truth year in politics was kind of a tribalism within it. So let's let's do Trump, let's not do Brexit, as British people shouldn't talk about Brexit. We'll all just end up arguing right. about That's Brexit. It. We can talk about Trump because we're so knowledgeable well, and it affects us so directly. I should be quite careful because I am obviously a representative of the failing New York Times. <laughs> <Yes>. It <The>, um, <laughs> continues to struggle quotes. with its brand, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no one's heard of the New York Times. One of the first meetings he took afterwards was with the New York Times yeah, they, and he came out and went, oh, yeah, they're great. He tried to cancel and then claimed that the NYT had cancelled and then came, wandered down to, to the head office, which is opposite the Port Authority, and they had a big meeting for like an hour, and he was quite reasonable. And since then, he has backtracked on pretty much everything he said in it. <laughs> NYT, I like what you did Look there. That, yeah. Lovely stuff. The um, only those of us, you know, employed by it are allowed to say it that way. <laughs> oh, that Everyone right? else has to say the New York Times. It's not the same as PYT. No, it's not. It's different, isn't it? Carry on. Carry uh, on. Anyway, so what mm. what you saw with Trump was that he could say anything, and that even when it was conclusively disproved that, that he was wrong or that he was being offensive or or whatever, the people who wanted to believe him would still believe him. It's a great example in early January when, you know, remember he mocked the disabled reporter? Yeah. Mm. He's now denied that he mocked the disabled reporter. It's on film. As, like, as a result of what Meryl Streep said yeah. in her yeah. Golden yeah, yeah. Globe acceptance So page. he now denies that he mocked the disabled reporter, but like you can see him doing it. Like there's, there's, there's like visual proof that can, he did Can it. he not see the, 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 tele, the banks of television no, cameras but, that are pointing at him? No, it? but see, this is the point that Trump has worked out for all that he's been kind of described as a moron and he's an idiot and blah, blah, blah. He's worked out that what you see and kind of documentary evidence of something doesn't matter anymore because 
Do you know what? This is it all ties together. You've read, there's a John Ronson book called Are You Being Publicly Shamed, which is about being kind of going through that horrible feeling on Twitter of having the entire world kind of come down on you. And he talks to Max Mosley, who obviously was a victim of a tabloid sting mm. for a sex orgy involving women dressed in German mm. army mm. uniforms. Not a Nazi sex orgy. It wasn't a Very Nazi different. sex orgy. Mm. Very different. Um, and Max, he, the point John Ronson makes about Mosley is that he isn't... He, he got through that, that process of being shamed because he, he never felt shame. He refused to be shamed. Trump has the same thing. Trump refuses to admit that he's been caught lying or that he, what he said is wrong. He, he doubles down every single time. And that's kind of what we've seen there. It's this tribalism that if you want to believe him, even when you're presented with documentary proof that he's wrong, you say, no, mm. that's the evidence of a liberal media conspiracy or whatever. That is exactly, that is the environment that exists around football. Fans indulge in it. Fans need it, I think, to believe in it. Managers kind of stoke it. Players stoke it. Clubs themselves stoke it. The media kind of plays along with it and has become susceptible to it. And what you get is this whole kind of false atmosphere around football, which is a really, really interesting sort of phenomenon. And the funny thing is that everybody's talking about post-truth as if it's something of a buzz of 2016, the last 12 to 15 months. But it's been going on for so long. And and the reason it's been going on for so long is the word that you mentioned is, is tribalism. Now, why does tribalism make somebody completely disavow themselves of needing facts or anything that is provable to them? I'm going to start with a question, right? <laughs> we are we are all or have been fans of a club at a certain point. Except maybe Chinch. Who do you support as a kid? <sighs> Who do I support as a kid? No one really, because I played from such a young age. I was such you a talented young self. player that I was I was playing at such a um, <laughs> My legs, because my legs... No, no. Um, I didn't really have a team. True, I, right. Yeah, apart from me. That's really unusual, every... isn't it? I had a conversation with somebody <clears> recently <throat> who did who loved football, was passionate about football, played every week. Mm. Similar sort of age age two to us, a bit younger yeah, than yeah. Chinch. Thanks. Um, and he, but he, did su- he did not support a team. And I thought, mm. well, surely that is where That's the seed the port, of your yeah. interest grows from isn't it your your affiliation to one club and then your interest in football beyond that mm. sort of that's quite nice though but yeah, it's liberating yeah. isn't yeah, it yeah, because, it must be, because must be. you're I, I, not I, I, framing everything that you feel because Through of prison, because yeah. of how you're instinctively reacting to your club and how you feel your club is being represented well, all right i'm gonna roll with the punches here so i can i can adapt to my question so you two both supported a club as a kid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you've both been paid to go to matches to, to watch your team yeah. Yes. You have both been caught up in the euphoria of victory and the misery of defeat. <laughs> Not at the same time, because I think when we get paid to go to see that team, we have to yeah. take the edges yeah, off mm, our yeah, emotions. Yeah. Hugh, we're all professionals. Jesus. <laughs> That's right. maybe for another when, podcast. When you go to a game, when yeah. you go to a game of the team that you support, and you, the entire crowd goes up in, in fury at refereeing decision, when you watch that game back later, either on highlights or blah, 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 whatever, or... Th- in full, if you've won, if you want to, you've got nothing better to do. Uh, do you then look at that decision and, and think, I was wrong about that? Yeah. Yes. But we're part of the liberal media elite. I would so say, I would say that we, we would be the exception. In fact, we took my five-year-old son, Rory, Named Rory Jr., yeah. to a game quite recently. And it, and it did surprise me how many people were sat behind the goal, about 30 rows back, not a great position from which to assess whether or not the linesman at the far end of the pitch is getting a decision or right or wrong. But it really struck me as to how many people were willing to believe, sat around us, mm. that the linesman has been against us all afternoon, continues to be so. He was clearly incorrect in flagging our player offside there. Like, well, how can you 
possibly, possibly believe that from your vantage point? And I suppose uh, having been in a position where you have a great seat on the halfway line, television monitors all around you with replays almost instantaneously available, it does change the way that you watch football, the way you perhaps make your mind up as to whether that decision is, is fair or not because you are more used to now being in an, in an environment where within 20 seconds it's been proved conclusively yeah, one yeah, way or another. Yeah. So although you may still have that, that instinct of, of a fan, the reaction of a fan to be out of your seat, baying for blood, I find myself immediately sitting down thinking, actually, I might have a look at that later before yeah. I... Uh, before yeah, but I you're, the thing is, you're, you're open-minded, or hopefully we are open-minded. Yes. Most people aren't. It yeah. doesn't that's, matter what the actual truth is. I've already difference. made my mind yeah, yeah, up. Exactly. So you're not going into it saying, I, I want to find out exactly what happened there. I'm going to tell you what's happened, even if the, 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 the truth of it is in front of my eyes. It doesn't make any difference to me. When and, you were playing, hmm. and you went home after a victory. Yeah, big victory. Big victory. <laughs> so which I probably starred in, in it. In which yeah. you starred. Yeah. And you went home and watched the big match on ITV. Or, yeah, you know, the big match. Yeah. Whatever it was that you How old am I? And so you, if, if, when you were playing, if you thought that you should have had a penalty and mm. you then got a chance to see the incident again, would you then think, oh, actually, that but when was a you, penalty? But when you play and you appeal for things that you genuinely yeah. know shouldn't go your way, like throw That does do. not happen. Come <laughs> on. It does. Trust me, it does happen. Even modern players you appeal for things they simply I'm shouldn't have. You do see it where players appeal for throw-ins and you think, there is no way you could believe that that's your throw-in. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about players in a moment because mm. I, want, I want to stick with the point that you made to Steve because the difference, I think, is your instinct at that moment. Even if you go up, you, you're sitting around a load of fans, your instinct is, oh, well, that's a disgraceful decision because you know you are as one and you kind of follow the trend. So that's the instinctive reaction. And then you have a more measured reaction when you then go and watch it again. And Steve made the point that, yes, you can watch it immediately again if you're covering the game. But if you're a fan and you go home and you watch it again, the difference, I think, is that you aren't open-minded to somebody telling you that you were wrong at the time. Your instinct was wrong. Do you think that's true? I don't know how true that is. The the, the post-truth part of that example Mm. is to say that the person who is telling me that it wasn't a penalty when I thought it was or it wasn't offside when I thought it was is telling me from a point of view that I don't trust. I don't trust Mm. their opinion, so therefore I still think I'm right. I feel it. I am right. And they are not. Right, so therefore, this, fact mm. is secondary. This mm. is where we and this is where we build into the general post-truth environment. I think, which is, you can take that. You're right that people, people, fans generally aren't are prepared to see perceived agendas and slights and biases in in the media in general, TV, press, whatever, because like a family, you're allowed to criticise your own, but you're not. Other people aren't yes. allowed to do it, yeah. which is fine. That's kind of the nature of it. That's not. This isn't in any way critical. It's just looking to try and get work out where it comes from. But you then get this rise in not just kind of believing that you should have had a penalty. It's believing that referees are systematically biased against your own team. The stage went with Manchester United under Fergie, where he managed to convince everybody that the FA, which had David Gill on its board, was systematically biased against Manchester United. And Man United fans were oh yeah, the FA hates us. And you think, no, one of the most powerful men in the FA is your chief executive. Like... Your chief executive doesn't hate you. It's just a it's a narrative. But Jose Mourinho did that as Chelsea boss yeah. as well. Yeah, um, it's towards like, the end of his time, and more with effectively Chelsea because because David Gill wasn't, wasn't on the there. board. Yeah, <laughs> the but the, the the Fergie thing was he convinced all people with an association to Manchester United that that was true, whilst fans of every other club yeah. believed equally strongly that Manchester United were treated leniently 
by yeah, the football for the same reason. Yeah, for the, exactly. So the has, same, this, has this changed? Has this got worse? Is this I think worse? It has, yes. In what? How, will I it think last five years, ten years? Because part, partly because of the saturation of football, I need to be careful. Uh, talking to a representative of Sky Sports <coughs> about football saturation, mm. but I think because there's so much football now, Careful. I think which is a great thing, isn't it? Brilliant, and isn't their coverage good? Particularly on those yeah. occasions involving Don Goodman and yes. everybody else. Don Goodman played for the same uh, village team as I did in Yorkshire. Is that right? Don Goodman is the cricket first, team. No, football <laughs> oh, football team. Don Goodman was the first ever million-pound Collingham Colt. Collingham yeah. Colt. Is he remembered as being a superior player? than you for the club or, I tell, or, do you know the highlight of my playing career was when I got the late call I've been rested <laughs> of a weekend squad <laughs> rotation <laughs> for 24 years oh, yeah. I've been rotated about 12 11 11 or 12 I got the call we'd, we'd actually moved to playing Bardsey at that stage there'd, there'd been a ground share agreement and um, <laughs> the high stakes and Jeff the manager called me on my landline it was the 80s no it was early 90s and said We're, we, someone's not turned up can you, can you come and play and I got my mum to drive me and sure enough, got there, and I was the 11th player. I was a substitute. What? They used me as a sub. They started with 10. <laughs> you, you are joking. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so literally they were, the, the lowest they, moment and of they my act, life. They kicked off a man light because yeah. they didn't want you I in th- the 11. They were stronger 10 <laughs> against 11 than they were with you in the team. I think. Oh, wonderful. Looking back, I think it must have been. I wasn't that bad. Don't try and legitimise it. This I wasn't. Is, this is a you were wearing a tutu as well. I wasn't, to be honest. I'm not a particularly good footballer, but I wasn't. Straight from I, ballet. Wasn't that good. <laughs> but I think it must have been the paperwork thing. You must have had to submit the team sheet, and yeah, I wasn't allowed in. Keep believing but that. Yeah. The, that's Your anyway. soccer yeah. story later oh, is going to have to be really good is, to beat this. That, by the way, that is that's brilliant. It's humiliating. It's a humiliating event. And it was it was worth it was worth the massive fork in the road, which I have to admit came via Don Goodman. And that is my fault. But you no, said so, so it's worse over the last five or ten years. Because there's more years, football on TV football and social media. We're all exposed to it. There's more social media. Obviously, there's social media. There's there's greater exposure, weirdly, to the to the media itself. So we all think newspapers are dying. But if you think about the amount that football dedicated football fans who are on Twitter read the stuff that's in newspapers, it's way more than they used to. You used to buy a newspaper, mm. and that was your newspaper. And you just read what was in it. Now you read all of the papers, and you get the BBC doing the transfer gossip or, or whatever. There's ro- the rolling sp- sports blog. You're on Twitter all the time. You see everything. Like you're re- people are reading the papers more. There's not paying for it. You get dedicated fan sites. You get kind of fake. It's a whole different side of fake news. But like the 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 blag Twitter accounts with transfer gossip and all that stuff. And what you get is this kind of massive environment where you can pick and choose what you want to believe exactly the same as happened in politics where people were were saying i don't believe the new york times and the washington post and the boston globe but whatever I, they say whatever they say but i do believe trump for america dot you because it's, it's saying what i want it to say so fans will now if you if you knock a transfer story down on twitter you get loads of abuse because fans don't want to believe that you're right so are we this, are we, this is we should say another buzzword this is the echo chamber yeah. of football so are we now saying that with access to even more media, even greater breadth of opinion, and enhanced television coverage with multiple cameras, multiple angles, slow mo- slow motion, that people's views are even more entrenched now yes. than they were when we didn't have those things. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true. I think that you used to... 
I've always thought that it's kind of does it, it used to stop mattering on like Tuesday when you're at school or at work. Yeah, yeah. If you'd lost on a Saturday, mm. you'd go in and you, the people take the Monday was rough for Monday. It? Monday yeah. was tough, but then by Tuesday, kind of everyone had forgotten and you could get away from it and you didn't have to think about football for a couple of days. And then kind of got to Thursday and you think, right, we'll, we'll win this weekend, we'll win this weekend. Whereas now you can't ever escape it. And I think that's that tension, that sort of abrasion between views has led to a lot more kind of it's deepened the sense of tribalism among that small demographic it's probably not true for all football fans just not all football fans are staring the internet the whole time let's return then to the player point if you were furious about something that you had felt slighted you during the game whether it was a decision or perhaps even a reaction from opposing player manager even the crowd how quickly were you able to instinctively relax yourself so that you weren't so furious or did you entrench your own your own opinion as time went on well Roy doesn't know what it's like to actually take part in a, a proper game <laughs> football level against 11 but the things that happen I look back now with a, quite a bit of embarrassment on the, the things that you believed and the way you conducted yourself on the field referees decisions it, it was amazing what you thought had happened but Hand on heart, you came, at the end of the game, you, you probably know that was a penalty or that or we were appealing for got something. That, we all knew because we chatted about it, but it just whatever tended to happen to get the job done for a player is one thing. And I just find it incredible that, that fans are looking down. And like you said, there's, there's more ways of showing people that they are wrong or there are a, another way of looking at this and you, you might not be right about it, yet they just they tend to disregard it. But for players, it was, well, it's only different now. I don't, well, players do cheat, don't they, clearly? They do cheat to get the decisions. They don't really care how the decisions go their way as long as they get them and they get the result that they need. At the end of the match, I'm but sure if yes, you ask them, but there's they'll always probably a, say, well, actually, yes, we know that wasn't correct. Exactly. We, we there's always a handshake. Yeah. There's always a handshake, isn't there? So mm. do you feel like the end of the game is the end of the hostility and those those burning fires within you that you felt really aggrieved at a decision? That, that's all it's gone It's kind the of like of anything goes for that 90 minutes. You, you both try, it's sort of some gamesmanship going on as well. To both teams, both sets of players are trying to get the job done in whatever way it can be done, whether that's bending the rules, bending the truth, whatever you might... What's going on there? Are you trying to, you trying to stop me in mid-flow there? Because you have, it's worked. I was no. right in the middle of something no. there. Just and you clipped something. I'm having a drink. You're coming oh off your lawn. Let the man have a sip What was I water. saying? I don't know what it was, but it might be the most important thing I've anything, ever said in my anything life. Anything goes for 90 minutes. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, so whether that's still the same now for players, I wouldn't ask players anything. I wouldn't ask players anything to do with uh, well, what's just happened in 90 minutes because they are a bit dim. And actually, they're, they're probably encouraged not to actually say, I did dive there, or yes, I, I did trip him, it was a penalty. But do you there. think they go through the same process of justification? That Say when you get a dive, and I've always thought it really funny that like, we all get really angry about diving when it's exactly the same process of cheating as claiming a throw-in that's not yours, but there's not a great big Daily Mail campaign against, stop claiming for throw-ins. <laughs> but if Maybe we could start one. I think we maybe should. Yeah. Let's start... Let, like this, this At the be, NYT, sorry, the, the, the New York Times. <laughs> the set-piece menu... The set-piece menu can launch a campaign against claiming wrongly for throw-ins that you know definitely aren't yours. But do you think when the player when a player dives, do you think there's... I don't know, I've, ne- mm. I've never played football. <laughs> no, you've just stood on well, the sidelines in your tutu, substitute. wishing. Well, you asked to be the linesman. Substitute for 32 years. The, um, I've run the line and plenty of rounds for you. I've, I've done that. I, oh, I'm good at, good at doing that. Anyway, do you think that players... <laughs> Never been the third linesman that they didn't need. Us <laughs> water carriers aspire to linesmen. I, I, I turned up trying to, do, trying to run the line up and the lead was asked to be fourth official. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, um, just, hold, um, just hold the substitution board. Um, the, um, do, you not think, do you think that when players die, mm. 
they look back on it and justify it to themselves and think, well, actually, he was coming in at that angle. I did have to jump to get out of the way. Or but hand on how they do. They know exactly. They yeah, they do. They know exactly. what that, That's why I'd hope most fans actually know, even though it's your team and you feel, I have to say this because it's my team. I always, hand on heart, do you genuinely believe that? And that's what I find amazing. Eve, I've spoken to people after games and they say, well, he wasn't offside when he scored. And I said, no, he was offside. We've got the pictures. We can show you. And you can see them thinking, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. And I don't care what you're telling me. When we're actually telling them what's happened and there's no interest in listening to it. And that's what I just find in, in, incredible. Players do do know when they've overstepped the mark, definitely. I'm starting to feel like that we, we all have a bit of shared responsibility here, though, having, you know, we're part of the the liberal elite but we're part of the media as well and, and are, we, are we not propagating this by failing to do our jobs correctly before after during matches because if footballers football managers are talking absolute nonsense which completely and utterly contradicts what we can see with our very own eyes should we not be saying to manager a when they say well clearly you know the referee's done us today we should have had a, a penalty in the first half and posting players should have been sent off in the in the second half should the next point an interviewer makes be well Actually, we can conclusively yeah. prove that's that's incorrect. In fact, here is yeah, yeah. that that, and that doesn't happen, does it? We just go oh, the, the follow-up question. Well, you must be very angry about that because yeah. managers that, that's would feeding do the, the beast, isn't it? I don't think managers would do the interviews if you said yeah, actually exactly. we can show you. They'd say I'm not doing that because yeah. again, you're just you're throwing the, the, the point that I'm well, making back at me. And I'm killing could, the story as well mm. is well, so the main, not something the main thing. that we. Exactly. I know. Steve, I think you I think you can exculpate yourself because you're as a commentator. You tell you you tell it as you see it. That's yeah. the that's the purest form of reporting on football. Second is being a pundit who has to make <laughs> vaguely sen- sensible, sensible points mm. within just literally seconds of things happening about varieties of teams. And it's I mean, I, if you think about someone like Danny Higginbotham, it's something he does really well. And <laughs> just for an example, I mean, you, could, you could come up with many more. To be fair, he genuinely does. I really like Danny. I think he's brilliant. But Chinch obviously does it extraordinarily well, well as well. But journalists, I agree. I think and. That there are mitigating factors, one of which is that after games, particularly night games, newspaper reporters are on deadline and therefore you, you have like five minutes with the manager, yeah. you just let them talk. As Hugh says, you're looking for a headline as well. You're, you're trying to, to get them to say something that you can, that you can kind of hook onto your, mm. your match report. But I do think it's an, it's an, an abrogation of responsibility from journalists because you're, you're not just there as a reporter to report, to write down like a stenographer, to write down what the manager says and transmit it to the to the masses. That is part of your job, without a shadow of a doubt, but it's not the only element of your job. But it's like other journalists, to challenge power. And yeah. surely a manager is in a powerful position. You are there to put the opposing point to them so mm. that they can either justify their opinion or or shout you down and, and ban you and never speak to you again. <laughs> yeah. Which, funnily enough, is, is we should probably finish off this conversation on that. It's very difficult to go up against in this modern yes. media, in this modern post-truth society of football, uh, such as the gargantuan strength of a manager and also a club media machine. And supported by fans who see it as a great victory when a manager bans a journalist. I, I've never, I've just genuinely, I know that everyone hates journalists and that's fine, but I've, I've well, genu- don't, don't, we don't hate them all. No, it's a Some concept. Of them are like estate agents and journalists, it's fine. <laughs> and I, what I don't, but what I don't understand is why people think it's great for a manager to to basically say, I, "I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you've said something I don't like." That's not a good thing for. I mean, Fergie did it all the time. That it's not a good thing for it's a manager a to be doing. Right? Yes, how many times mm-hmm. I got I got banned by Fergie twice. Did you get banned by Fergie? No, well, you BBC I worked for the banned. BBC, so I was basically on a blanket ban. You know, for, for ten was, uh, years, yeah, we had a shared. Did you ever get I never banned? got banned, but I did benefit from a Fergie banned everyone one week. And except, I think I was with the Telegraph, 
No, the Times. I it was remember, the Times. I remember this, yeah. And I had to go on my own. <laughs> so it was, it was Radio, I think Radio Manchester and Sky were in. Because he's, he's contra- he can't ban Sky. He's contractually obliged yes. to do Sky, I think. And then the newspaper section was just me talking to Fergie. <laughs> and Fergie didn't like young reporters who didn't dress smartly. So I think I, think I actually, the only time I've ever, ever worn a suit to a press conference. Can you remember, you once dressed incorrectly for a trip, a European trip. I did, yeah. And because of that, you realised, and you, did you get, go and buy a, I had to go and a buy jacket, jacket yeah. had in to the airport yeah. because you were scared about walking past Fergie yeah. dressed in your normal chic way, shabby chic way. I was just wearing my tutu. As I <laughs> and shabby chic. <laughs> shabby chic is exactly that is how I dressed. To be fair. And so you, you, you made amends because you realised that that was something that uh, he, Alex Ferguson and his massive media machine <laughs> could have done something about. He, yeah, I didn't realise that you had to dress, like there was a dress code on United Trips. It's staggering. I mean, no one, I'm an adult, don't tell me how to dress when I'm on a plane. Well, so is, alone. Is, is this like the, the siege mentality, just being stoked up and stoked up and yeah, stoked and up? Yeah, everyone so does it now. Everyone does every it. Club yeah. really? And because they know that the fans can will, will back them, because the fans want to believe that everyone is against their club. They want to believe, they buy into this, yeah. this myth that they are overcoming yeah. the odds. But the fan in the stadium has seen a decision they disagree with. They want to hear, as quickly as possible, yep. someone in a position of authority within the club agreeing with them, whether that's the club's Twitter feed, whether it's the manager in his post-match interview, which they might hear on the football phone on the, on the way home, or when they catch the highlights on the telly later. But they just want to believe that, that timeline. And, and when Andy Hinchcliffe comes on to say, actually, we've, we've got the, uh, the evidence that that, that, that mm. wasn't a penalty... Well, that doesn't, that doesn't fit the narrative. That's, mm. the, that's the repetition aspect. Yeah. If you repeat something enough it will eventually become fact to that person who wants to believe it. It's not just the fact, it's the trust in the person who tells you that. And then people like Chinch are, to mention Brexit only briefly, is one of those those Michael Gove so-called experts. Yeah. You, you come in with your experience and your mm. knowledge, your um, brilliant ability to articulate fantastically well Incisive on television. Mind. Incisive mind. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Knowledge of tactical face for radio yeah mm. um, you, you, you do that you are one of those so-called experts well, yeah. by, the, by that point it's too late they've already, they've already decided and, and the club's Twitter feed just as an, as an example does the person who put that, that tweet up do they genuinely believe that or is it again yeah, no idea. an example of post, really post truth because, yeah. because it's, it, you would imagine that you can't put in your real feelings if it goes against you do the th- feelings you, you, of the media machine that the club is running. You get some cracking examples as well of, of not just Twitter feeds but website, club websites kind of ignoring bad things happening. So they'll sack a manager yes. and the headline will be, you know, season tickets on half half price season tickets <laughs> yeah. on, on, on sale. Now I think tell the tell the fans you've sacked your manager. That's kind of the point. And, and that it's is kind of frustrating, I think, for everybody. Apart from maybe those people who realise that they can't do anything different because it's more than their jobs were. I think. Well, I think it's frustrating. I, I, I actually don't think the fans. I don't think fans like it. I think the fans think it's. One would hope that they didn't. Completely transparent and stupid. The um, yeah, I think everyone kind of buys into it, and it's become the default status that that you create a counter narrative. Mourinho is amazing at it, but he's not the only one. You either kind of say something outlandish that's a diversionary tactic, and yeah. no one talks about your failings, or you just come out straight up lying. This is where where Trump come, comes into it again. That that Trump's a, a, a genius at. Just, it's ridiculous. Yes, we somebody accuses him of yeah. something and he accuses somebody else of something, of else. something else, which is more outrageous and, it, and crazy, so you forget the and whole it point. Seeds this idea, originally. and managers do it all of the time, yeah. that, that they, they've lost 4 0 and they blame the referee. And so it becomes, the conversation becomes about the referee. And not about their defence. Yeah. But also, it, for it example, of, it gives fans this something to cling on to, to, to kind of indulge their own bias, I suppose. And that's where it comes from. Everybody, and it's not. 
anti-fan, it's not anti-manager, it's everybody, indulges this whole post-truth environment. So this, this will not change? Do you think it's only no, going to get, get worse? Worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've come full circle. We started that with Trump, we've a ended with Trump. Uh, so before we go, let's spend some quality time among the memories of Mr Andy Hinchcliffe. He will tell oh, us yeah. a tale <laughs> from his playing days that has had all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. It's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. Oh, this is a belter. You'll, is like, it a belter? you'll actually like this He's one. He's setting right? himself so up there for something get, I, of a fall. I moved to Everton in 1990, so this must have been 93, 94, possibly. Kevin Ratcliffe, the, uh, the fantastic Everton captain. Uh, we're at the old training ground. They've got Finch Farm now, Everton, yeah. this brilliant training ground. Belfield was the old Everton training. I don't know whether you remember that. You've been there. Um, and what we used to do, what used to happen, I don't know whether you have it in, in the... It's very posh areas of Manchester, you all live. Is it, do you have the guy with the fish... It says the, the guy who lives fan. in Cheshire and has done... Bramall is not that posh. <laughs> it's, it's We Cheshire. have a guy who you has like a fish. You on a farm. Yes, that's not, that's not a point of the story though, is it? Like a guy with a fish yeah. van who goes around with fresh fish. Do you get that round here at all? No, but... Did you know, do you do you know fi- the concept? Do you mean a fishmonger? No, a fishmonger has a shop, no, 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 This no, is like a mobile is, yeah, man who a mobile goes around taking the fish out to the pub. My granddad, yeah, he, yes. he comes down our road. Br- does he come yeah. down your road? Bringing yes. the fish to the public. The fish, my yes. granddad was a, fi- a mobile fishmonger. A mobile fishmonger? Yeah. yeah, he was a fishmonger who worked from a van. And <laughs> uh, we had a fish, a fish man uh, when I was growing up. Doesn't, is this the same one that played football? Yeah. Oh, right. So I mean, that's what he did. That was his post-football career. <laughs> so there you go, Chinch, So anyway, we know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. The guy in a fish van. It's not a typical so, concept. He used to come to the training ground. No, it's not. I don't know whether you have it around here. <laughs> Stop sniggering. So Kevin Rack has placed an order with the fish man because he's having a bit of a dinner party. The so mobile fish monger. The mobile fish monger, yes. Fish man. So in Everton those days as well the old training room used to have like a, a changing room and then like a, a shower one of those big baths you know that band I think they're banned now aren't they you can't have these big baths where all the players can get in you're looking at me rather strangely why, but it's, why would they ban them because to do with body fluids and uh, blood and things like that you can't all Best not dwell bathe on that. together Rim. but they had these giant giant baths they used to fill up in the morning it took about five hours to fill up and people used to get washed and stuff in these big baths it's, it's a bit weird anyway so that's how it used to be so this is after training. So all the some of the lads are in the in the uh, in the bath, getting ready, getting showered and changed and, and washed and everything. Kevin Ratcliffe goes out to the fish man, picks up his order on a tray, comes back into the training ground, comes through the change rooms into the um, into the shower and washing area, and he then throws six live lobsters <laughs> into <laughs> the bath with the players. You have never seen players bars of soap. Head and shoulders shampoo bottles. It was the carnage. The water was thrashed to a foam as players like Mo Johnston would act. They thought they were going to die. But it's the, the way that it just walked. I, I wasn't in the I was just in the dressing room. And he kind of walked past with his tray. And I'm thinking, what? He walks in and he just basically stood there. And he did make a big show of it. Just basically went, hoi. And just threw six big live lobsters into the bath full of very well-paid professional footballers. And to see them fighting over each other, drowning each other to get out before the lobsters got hold of their, um, their wherewithals was one of, the, it's one of the crowning moments of my career. One of the funniest things I have ever seen. But the way he did it was just genius. Uh, what a soccer story indeed. Mm. Uh, thank you to you and to Kevin Ratcliffe yes. for uh, providing us with that tale. And thank you, everybody, uh, for being with us once again. Please tell your friends. Please share via social media. Uh, tell us that we're super, even if we're not, uh, as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. So thank you then to Andy, to Steve, to Rory and to you for listening. And we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon. Have a bit of biscuit. What are these biscuits? 
Beautiful. They're beautiful biscuits. Dark chocolate and macadamia nut. The chicken was good. The biscuits have, have been the crowning glory, Stop. really. Come on, my <laughs> what was it? I'm not. That chicken was ex- was my exceptional. Brother, what are you talking? My brother just left me those biscuits. You thieved. I spent three hours crushing that chicken. These were a, a present. Slow cut these were a present for your brother. And, but brother and we are now eating them. My brother lives in Portugal and he couldn't. What's the story with this? What we are you doing? we, we met. We, oh, we, we met your brother. We met oh, your brother. Yeah, you, you, you met my brother. You know my brother. Anyway, he, he looks like a man that really would have enjoyed these biscuits. He looks like King George V. Mm. I, I said that I Good would biscuits. be on his television screens in Portugal at the beginning of January, but obviously I lost my voice. So he was going to tune in to watch BBC World News on the day oh, that he, I told him, and he was sitting, would have seen you instead. So he'd have been really confused really as who he was talking to. He would have <laughs> essentially thought that he had had the conversation with you instead of me <laughs> on New Year's Eve. So I apologise to your brother. Was he, he probably do not adjust your picture. Chinch has had a really relaxing effect on my dog. Excellent. I tend to do that. Dog whisperer. Yep. Oh, my God. He's offering up its... Um...